Welcome to Russia's World. Today we have a very special guest. We have Laura Burke, and uh, she's going to talk about her book, Thriving Life, How to Live Your Best Life, No Matter the Cards You're Dealt, as well as other topics as well that are of interest here. But uh, welcome to Russia's World, Laura. Thank you for having me. Now, if we can start off by you presenting yourself in any way you see fit, because you do a lot of things as well. So how would you define yourself briefly for the audience here? I know it's funny whenever people ask me what I do for a living, I just have to rhyme off this whole long list. But basically, I'm the author of Thriving Life. Uh, I'm also a psychotherapist and professor and entrepreneur, and I do a lot of things. So, yeah. Wonderful. So the book uh, Thriving Life, I, I, I love the title itself. First off, um, the cards, uh, so with the, no matter the cards you're dealt, uh, it's quite interesting. It's a happy coincidence because my last interview was about oracles and tarot cards. So that immediately resonated with me and that's a great coincidence, but also thriving. So it reminds me of the, uh, uh, the Greek, ancient Greek philosophers are flourishing and you say, this person flourishes in that time. So, and it's not just getting by, but it's actually really enjoying life. So um, yeah, what would you say about that? Why did you choose specifically thriving instead of overcoming uh, trauma or stress? Yeah, that's a really good question actually, because there was a period of time in my life where I thought I am just surviving. I'm just going through the motions day in and day out. I didn't feel that sense of thriving in life. And so I did a lot of work on myself and what I was going through to get to the point where I could finally say, wow, I feel like I'm finally thriving. Uh, so that was where the title stemmed from. It was just not simply surviving. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's more than happiness or being happy. I, I, I see it as some, and I currently feel that I am thriving. And maybe the last period where I was, I felt I was thriving was when I was 16. And now it's kind of like everything comes together. And at, at this point of, of my life, I'm feeling that uh, there is so much that I can do and there's so much that I'm going to do. And I have the, the confidence and as well, the, the outlook to do so. And so a lot of it comes also because of suffering. And um, my, uh, my motto is uh, suffering is something that creates resilience. And with that resilience, we can really move forward and we have the choice to move forward if we want to. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that you hit the nail on the head with saying that suffering um, causes resilience because it's really hard to develop resiliency without having kind of strife or to go through something and come out of it on the other side. So I think a lot of us have experienced that feeling and, you know, are still trying to develop resiliency. I know that my daughter's a teenager and we talk a lot about resiliency and it's really hard as a teenager to develop that and, and have that. And so I think, yeah, you're perfectly right in saying that, that you really need to, the goal almost needs to be resilience and to be proud of the fact that you did develop that kind of armor in order to get through the hard times that you've maybe experienced. One of the things, I, I have a son who's a teen and he just turned 13 and um, just recently uh, uh, our hamster passed away 
And so that has created a lot of suffering. But at the same time, I feel the connection between us has grown so much stronger because of that loss. And I think that currently what's what's going on around the world as well is uh, people are suffering and it's a global phenomenon now. It's not something that it just, you know, yeah. a, a specific country, it's, it's everyone. So when we talk about it, I think it resonates much more with people. And I think people are actually probably more open to talk about it as well, of sharing some of the, 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 the pains they have and the suffering that they go through with the current phenomenon. I agree. I think that what we've all experienced over the past two years has really created this understanding that a we all have suffering that we have to deal with. And sometimes, you know, it's not really right in our face, but this pandemic really has put a mirror up to all of us. But on the other hand, communicating styles and being able to communicate online with one another and share our experiences, uh, I think that is been very impactful with this whole pandemic as well and is really important to share your experience because I think historically, you know, we've all been very closed off and nobody wants to say that they're having a hard time or suffering or, you know, sad about this, that or the other thing, but the internet and living more on the internet is making us communicate, I think, in a better way almost. Yes, uh, that's definitely true. And I, one of the things you mentioned in your book is brutal honesty. And I completely agree with it. And I, I really would highlight the word, not just honesty, but brutal, like really looking at yourself, looking yourself in the mirror, looking also in the rear view mirror and looking back at your, your past and kind of going through, through everything and accepting the previous uh, suffering one has had or trauma. And that is something I've uh, I've developed myself, I've, I've gone through myself, and uh, it's something I'm very passionate about because you can really come out of this so much stronger if you accept that, uh, that this happened and that you want to move on. But a lot of people don't do that, I find. It's true. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about my book and some people who have read it think, wow, it's kind of harsh. Like some of the things that you're pointing out in your book are harsh, but I'm harsh in my book because I lived that experience. Like I talk about being a victim and getting out of that victim mentality. And I was a victim a lot of my life. And I realized that I was continuing to allow what happened to me in the past influence my present day, even though that person who victimized me in the past is no longer in my life. But I found I was playing that poor me, I had a hard life, I was victimized, I suffered, I was abused, I was, you know, all that stuff. That stuff is horrible that it happened. But until you can recognize what you're doing as a result of this, those experiences that you had and how those actions are influencing your today, you can't make any changes. So I had to step back and go, okay, I really realized that I was playing that victim card because, you know, my father was very abusive and I felt poor me, poor me. But then I, I realized he's no longer in my life. So why am I letting him influence me? Why am I letting the experience or the things that he put me through when I was a kid continue to impact me today? And so it wasn't until I realized what I was doing and that I couldn't make that change until I acknowledged my role in not what happened, but my role in how I'm continuing to let it affect my life. 
So, Absolutely. yeah. I, I think one thing we, we don't want to um, um, hold on to guilt or shame because th those are negative and debilitating feelings. Um, what, again, like you, you're saying, we should accept it. It did happen. It's not about blaming or, or anything. It's about moving on. So, but you can't move on until you've actually accepted it and you deal with that anger that you're feeling. So it doesn't like remain within you or uh, fest like uh, fester within you. And, and so you're using uh, CBT mainly as well as, as DBT, I think. And, um, but I find a lot of my, my interest is psychoanalysis, but it's like that, that influence of the past, I think it's so important, paramount for being able to progress in the present and into the future if dealing with, uh, with those issues. Would you agree with that? I agree. And I think that you said, you know, um, not placing blame. I think you can wholeheartedly place blame. I placed blame on my father who was an adult and who, you know, violated our relationship. And, but it's, it's letting go of that blame, not letting go of the blame as far as he was wrong, but letting go of how that's influencing me today and how it's affecting me. I'm taking control of what's happening. Sorry, I meant self-blame. I mean, exactly. guilt and self-blame, but the other person too. And I think that is really important to, to create, to set those boundaries. And actually, again, brutal honesty, it's not just with ourselves, but with others too, and say, you know, what you do is wrong and uh, I'm not accepting it. And absolutely like pointing it out. I completely agree with you. And when I was reading through the chapter of, of toxic families, I, I, I felt like I'm reading through what's going on in, in my family life. Uh, and in my case, it's a reversal. It's, it's my mother, not my father. But uh, I could relate to a lot of those things. And what I love what you're saying is, you know what, when you feel that the other person is, is, is really harming you and is not going to change, is not willing to change, you need to cut it off, cut off that relationship, cut the cord. And this is what I've been doing. And it just feels so good to, to be reaffirmed again here that this is the right path for one's health, for one's sanity as well. You know, I think family relationships are the hardest to deal with because we've all experienced ending friendships. We've all experienced ending relationships, but not very many of us has taken that step to end that family relationship connection or to put boundaries on those relationships, especially if it's a parent-child dynamic, like with me and my father, with you and your mother. It's hard for you to say, no, I'm not going to accept this behavior. I will accept this behavior. And if you're not willing to do that, then we can't have a relationship. And so you're taking the role almost of the adult when this person in your life in the relationship has been the adult and you've been the kid, because it doesn't matter how old you are. You still feel like a kid when you're dealing with either your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, whatever it is. So it it's really tricky, but you find that having these toxic family relationships can bleed into other relationships in your life, you know, other friendships and how you allow them to treat you or romantic relationships. So it is important to acknowledge and identify what is unhealthy about those family relationships, what you want to have changed. And if they can't change, because you can't make people change, if they can't change, it is 100% okay for you to say, you know what, I'm done. I'll meet you here, but I'm not going to let you to continue to make me feel terrible. 
Yeah, I love that. And that's absolutely true. And, and and that idea of victim is also when you victimize yourself, you go back to that state. And if it happens in your childhood, you're you're emotionally and psychologically, as you see view things through your through the, the eyes of a child, that age that you had at that moment. But we have to realize that we've moved on and um, we are not that child anymore. And realizing, you know, we've moved past that and then deal with the situation as, as an adult. Just last night, I watched uh, Antoine Fisher, the Denzel Washington movie, and it's, it's about abuse. And one of the, the most poignant uh, moments for me was when he faces these female, actually, yeah, female abusers uh, and when he's an adult. And he says, I'm not that child anymore. And that kind of um, agency that you have, that kind of realization that um, this happened in the past, this was another stage of my life. Now it's a very different one. And that gives so much also control and power to oneself. Empowerment is exactly that in my view. It's so true. I find that it's really hard when you're stuck in that feeling of being a kid, you know, and, and that those feelings kind of come flooding back. It's hard to make that change, you know, because that's always how we've experienced that feeling when it arises. And so you have to step back and acknowledge. We talked about that whole being able to acknowledge what is happening. That's why I love CBT in a way, because you're acknowledging how you're feeling, what your thoughts are, what it's doing to you physically, what your brain is telling you, and to protect that child. You are the adult now, and you recognize that I'm having these feelings that I had when I was a little kid. But also I find that it's really not, it's easy to identify when you've been physically abused. That person hit me, that's abuse. That's not acceptable. But what's harder to identify and put boundaries and limits on are the words that people are using and how they're treating you. Because a lot of times people who are verbally abusive, and I'm not even talking about in a blatant way, I'm talking in that manipulative way where you're like, did you just, I think you, you know, where you can't really pinpoint it, but it doesn't feel good. And then that person will gaslight you because you know, you know that they've made you feel terrible and it's affecting your mental health, but you can't necessarily pinpoint it. And when you try to, they say, no, 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 I didn't do that. I didn't say that. Those are even harder to put boundaries on and to recognize that you're going to say, no, I'm not going to have you treat me this way or make me feel this way. I know exactly what you're talking about. I grew up with a narcissist. So that is <laughs> what they're really good at. And for the longest time, you, you st start doubting yourself. You self-sabotage yourself. And, and you say, no, it can't be. You, you ignore it. And in many cases, we do accept the abuse, but it's unwittingly. We don't realize it until, until we do. And then when you get to that moment, then you have a choice. And I think choice is so paramount. And choice is two ways, actually. And people forget. Choice is not just action. You can either progress or you can stagnate. You can choose to do something or choose to do nothing. Because yeah. sitting on the fence is also a choice. So I think once you realize that, then we get to the issue of kind of agency, control. And then, like you're saying, change takes a lot of work. It's hard. It's not going to come easy. It is so hard changing. It's sometimes easy to identify, not always, because it makes it even harder when you can't pinpoint it, but then it's taking action. You know, for a long time, I was feeling certain ways and I just let 
the, the feelings I was having dominate my psyche. And until I stopped and recognized why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling, you can't move on. You can't change that thought process. And it's as simple as, you know, you open an e email and something in that email bothers you, but you don't identify it. And then you go on about your day and you're feeling kind of blah and you can't figure out why am I feeling yucky? Like I'm feeling really blue. And then that blueness kind of overtakes your whole day, but to stop and go, okay, I'm feeling blue because I opened this email and this person said this, and then you really, dig down and identify why that made you feel bad and then that's when you can let it go and make those changes but until you recognize and take action it's nothing will change yes yes and um, I, I think we also soon had a, a quote it's like the only place where success comes uh, before work is in the dictionary and uh, that's not <laughs> just in terms of career that's also in terms of our personal lives and so and in, in today's world too we think like things will happen quickly we want quick results and and it doesn't work that way and but we accept it in our careers but it seems in our personal lives don't fully embrace that and uh, it, it relationships as well and that's something you talk about in your book as well it takes a lot of work as well yeah no it definitely does and I think it, you know a lot of the chapters in my book they seem like very standalone chapters and in a way they are but I find that you know if you have bad relationships with your family you have bad friendships and bad romantic relationships, not all, but you can have a pattern and then it does bleed into your feeling about yourself. And then as a worker, as a friend, as you know, somebody who do you deserve happiness and what do you want out of your life? Like all of these things can sort of bleed across platforms. And uh, so, yeah, in my book, I definitely deal with, you know, being happy, choosing to put boundaries on relationships, choosing to protect relationships that are healthy. And uh, even in the workforce, you know, um, going after things that you want and deserve and believing that you deserve those things. Mm -hmm. And it does carry over, like you're saying, it's kind of like um, uh, something that happened in your childhood and you accepted, let's say, that verbal abuse. And then later on, you accept the same verbal abuse by your partner and then by your supervisor. And it's, it's, it's that pattern of like not seemingly not being able to create to set those boundaries. And uh, it's that realization, though, that it doesn't have to go on like this. I have again that moment of choice, and and it is it is small at at the at first at the beginning, but then the more you strengthen it, the, the stronger it, it gets, and then you stand up not only to to your your supervisor or your your partner, but also to your to your past and say no more of this, and I've moved on, and, and that is once you do that, and I found it creates so much freedom and liberty and. Uh, you can just uh, you can just move along much more freely and easier and have much better relationships across the board with everyone, including yourself. It's true. And it's not always also about taking action. It's about recognizing your feelings about yourself. So I'll give you an example. I was adopted and growing up adopted, I always felt uh, some level of rejection. So my birth parents were able to give me away. So I felt like I was giveawayable. Then I tried to find them when I was in my early 20s. I did find them and they told me to get lost. So again, I was rejected and I 
couldn't understand that feeling. Like, why would they not want to have anything to do with me? I'm a nice person. You know, I was, I wrote a letter saying, I just want the opportunity to thank you. And, you know, I'm successful. I don't, you know, I'm educated. I'm not asking for money. Like, and I still couldn't understand that feeling of rejection. Wow. Did I carry that through all of my relationships? Because whenever I develop a friendship, I think, they don't really like me. They couldn't possibly like me. Or I'd get into a workforce and in my head, I think my colleagues, they don't really like me. My boss doesn't really like me. I'm not likable because I was rejected. And so it's easy for people to reject me. So it's not even about standing up for treatment that people are giving you. It's about being your own worst enemy and believing things that aren't necessarily true. And so those inaccurate beliefs influence how you're treating yourself, how you're allowing others to treat you or your perception of how they're treating you. I have a similar uh, experience here as well. And uh, it, although it feels like I was adopted, but I'm not. I'm not. But uh, when I was, I, I grew up in Germany. And so I did stand out uh, there as, as a foreigner. And so there was like this, this era of not accepting you or rejecting you because you are different. And it was in a, in a very traditional town, uh, Nuremberg, which is, uh, again, very conservative. And, and many times I felt that, even with friends who would say, well, we don't like foreigners, but you are different. We like you. And so it just, I never felt at home. And then you don't feel at home at home either. So it's that kind of displacement where you have nowhere you feel you belong. And that creates that, uh, that feeling of like, okay, if somebody abuses me, it's okay because that's, I have nowhere to go. And no, no, yeah. no foundation really of like, I belong here. And that has still carried on because I, 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 I speak five languages. I know about different cultures, but there's no one specific place that I can fully identify with because the place I grew up in and the language that I spoke, um, in, which was uh, in Germany, they never accepted me fully. And so that carries on that, that, that feeling of displacement as you're mentioning it. Right. And then you have in the back of your mind, when you meet new people, do they think I'm some just foreigner? Are they judging me because of my accent or the way I look? Or, you know, it's a horrible thing to carry around with you because that was how you experienced life as a kid. And now as an adult, you probably sometimes encounter people where you think, I wonder if they don't like me because I'm that foreigner, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does carry through. But the good thing about obstacles and these kind of hurdles is, if you think about it, a hurdle is something that, again, there's a choice, but we, we jump over it. That's why they're there. And once you jump over it, you get better at it. And then the next hurdle, you, you will jump quite easily. And it's not even a hurdle for you. It's like, yeah, piece of cake. So I, I, I think that is that attitude of, first of all, taking responsibility for oneself and one's actions as well, because we got the brutal honesty will say, well, there, there are lots of parts of myself that is maybe not ideal. And there are flaws there, but that's okay because um, we all have them. And it's the, the idea of taking responsibility, taking action and trying to, to, to flourish or to thrive uh, with that. And um, um, one of the things, and, and cognitive um, um, behavior therapy was, was something that I was criticizing years ago, but I'm, I'm feeling it's coming more towards the direction that I feel is important, like including things like mindfulness, including the discussion of the unconscious, the, the past that influences us. 
And um, um, seeing a talk by uh, Martin Seligman, um, who talked about agency, and he says there are three things that are important here uh, for agency to, to occur is efficacy, optimism, but included imagination. And I think that is crucial because if you don't have those three, I can make that change. Yes, it's gonna work out and things are going for the better, even though we have currently new variants and so on, we will get better and we will get through this, right? And then the imagination, I can imagine a world where, where it's, it's manageable and I'm gonna thrive actually, and I'm gonna succeed those three things we need to have. And uh, it's, it's often very hard to get to that point. Yeah, it, it's true. I, it's funny you say that because when I was first introduced to CBT and mindfulness, I just thought, this is nonsense. Like I know, might be mindful of how you're feeling. I know how I'm feeling. What are you talking about? You know, I didn't understand. I could not wrap my brain around the fact that you're asking me to be mindful of something that is so in my face already. <laughs> But then I realized it's not just understanding how you're feeling, but the thoughts that you're having around those feelings. So something happens, like you, you run into a friend and they kind of brush you off and go on about their, their day. And you think, is my, my friend's mad at me? They don't like me. And then you start to feel horrible. And so to be mindful of that feeling, okay, what happened? Well, I ran into my friend and she brushed me off. So I'm feeling bad because I feel like she doesn't like me, but does she not really like me? Or is maybe she running late for work? Maybe she got in a fight with her mother. Maybe she got in a fight with her husband, whatever it is. You think of these scenarios. I don't know why she brushed me off. I don't know the real reason. So you think, well, one reason is she doesn't like me. Another reason is she's running late for work. Another reason is she got into a fight with her husband. Out of these three things that happened, what feels less bad? and what feels really bad. Well, this feels really bad, and I don't know that this happened, so I'm gonna let that one go. And I'm just gonna assume she was running late and she didn't wanna miss the subway, and it's not personal. And then by identifying that, your thoughts around your feelings, you're able to kind of let that go and start to feel better, so. Absolutely. I think we're, we're triggered a lot. So there, there is a lot of anger currently in, uh, in even social media around the world. On the streets, I see a lot of frustrated people. And um, I understand to, to a large degree. But the problem is when we take it personally. And so that's when we, we, we go on the defensive and we attack back to protect ourselves. Yeah. And that creates, that creates chaos and it, it gets worse. But um, my point is also, let's say we take everything personally and let's say it is personal. So what? It's an opinion of a person about me. It, it's not necessarily true. If it's true, then we go back to the brutal honesty and taking responsibility. I have to do something about it. If it's not true, why, why even bother? Why even worry about it? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And then that's when you start to think about, do I need this relationship that's making me feel bad? Like if they view me that way and it's not true, but that's how they view me, do I want them to be in my life? And it's okay to cut people off if that doesn't feel good. Exactly. Yeah. And um, you, you also are very involved in, in parenting apart from, from having kids, but also giving uh, advice for parents. And that's something I'm fascinated uh, with as well. Um, so what would be a general rule for, for parenting? What would make good parenting uh, according to you? What do you think is, is important, essential here that we can briefly talk about? 
Well, I think the one thing about parenting that I've learned is that you have to figure out a way that your child can communicate with you that they are comfortable with. Because I think traditionally our parents weren't really concerned with how we were communicating with them. And we had to talk to them the way that they wanted to be talked to. What I mean by that is my teenager, we were going through a lot of communication issues because I would go into her room and say, tell me what's the matter. And she would just like, <laughs> she'd shut down. And then I realized that she needed to communicate with me over text or email because it provided a barrier for her. For me, I would never think of communicating to somebody that way, but it was what she needed at that time. So I think it's really important as a parent to understand how your child needs to be listened to and communicated with. When they're a toddler, you get down on your knees, you look them in the eye, and you talk to them in simple words so that they can understand what you are talking about but we don't necessarily translate that action when we have teenagers. So if our teenager needs to text us and that's a good way for them to communicate, then, you know, take that step and, and do that because they'll communicate way more with you if you communicate on their level than if you expect them to communicate on your level and the way you expect your peers to communicate with you, um, they'll, they'll just shut down and, and not talk. Yes, that's very important. I think to give them space and, and room as well as time. So when they're ready to talk about it, but that that honesty that you talk about, I accept with uh, with my son as well. And he's he's occasionally quite critical with things uh, with me and he criticizes me. And I'm thinking I could have never done that years ago. And I think it might be a cultural or a generational thing, but um, I agree with it. I like it because in, in most cases, he's actually right. And so I, I have that choice of getting upset of him pointing out a flaw within me or saying thank you for, for, for directing my attention on this and I will work on it. And so it's, but also there's also the, the, the tantrums and so on where they're, they're not right. And they do have to follow those, those rules. We have to put our foot down and say, you know what? No, we don't, we can't accept this. But with, with teens, we also have to realize they're going through tremendous change of their mind, of their body, of their feelings. And, and uh, just recently I had a talk with, with someone who talked about the brain growing and it's not actually fully developed until they're, they're young adults. So we're talking about uh, 25. So adolescence is, is a better uh, term than, than teen because it, it continues. And that changed uh, my perspective in many ways that uh, when they forget to do things, they actually do forget. It's not... Uh, um, kind of like attacking you, a personal attack on us, on the parents or defying us, it's that they just simply forgot. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good point in that I think all parents should kind of do a bit of research on brain development because yeah, we're not fully formed. Our brains don't fully form until we're 25 and our emotions, we can't regulate them the way we can when we have logic and reason. And it makes it really hard. But as you say, 
sometimes they forget and it's, it's, they're not being rude or disrespectful. They legitimately forget. And so to give them some slack there. For sure. And they forget many times and then you just have to keep repeating, right? So that, that, that becomes important. And um, that, that level also of when, when you treat them with uh, uh, respectfully and you accept them the way they are, that builds that level of trust, whether they say, I can trust my parent and I can be open to them. And emo emotional regulation, that's absolutely true. They're not taught that at school. I mean, there, there, there are many things that they're taught, but I think the most vital things, the life skills, I don't think they're taught it. But it comes to, again, it's our responsibility as parents to make sure that, that we model it at home and then he can take it outside as well. So that's, I think that's hugely important. And we are seeing uh, with, uh, with uh, horrible tragedies uh, that are happening in the, in the United States with the, with the shooting. And uh, I, I must say that I, feel, that I feel good that the parents have been charged as well, the parents of this, this, this young, this adolescent, because they are responsible too. And when you have children who are misbehaving in classrooms, um, a lot of the cases, we have to go back and it's something that happens in the family, that toxic family that you're talking about, uh, as well as uh, I, I just remember the, the dog whisperer, Cesar Milan, who, who would not work with the dogs because he said the dogs are not the issue here. Right. It's their owners. And I think the same can be applied to parents. It's in many cases, probably most cases, we have to take the blame for this and we have to do something about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have to teach our kids how to be good people, just like we have to teach toddlers how to share. We have to teach, you know, teenagers how to respect themselves and one another and other adults. And yeah, it's good to let them be able to speak their mind, but they also need to know that there's, we all live in a culture and a society together that we have to respect one another. And what does that mean? And putting boundaries there too yeah for sure and that emotional connection because there's a misunderstanding of independence they say independence while well, you deal things on your own and i won't interfere but yes to a degree but not when it comes to emotional regulation to to issues to problems to relationships we have to work with them they are not adults they're not many adults they, we have to guide them we have to communicate so i'm frustrated by many parents who just let their kids be and and don't don't seem to care or don't seem to get involved with their children's lives and uh, or, or teens or adolescents life and or don't even know how you know it's and that's it they they haven't been taught it as well so that's something maybe there there needs to be a course for mandatory course for for all parents like we have for a driving school that we we learn the the, the basics of, of of how to how to parent effectively yeah. I think it would be great if all schools had a course on mental health and wellness. You know, they have like eating healthy and the changes your body's going through and, you know, all of that stuff, but they don't really touch on mental health. Like to do a full on course on, on that would be helpful. I think that I consider myself a very good parent and a very open parent. And, you know, I, I tell my daughter she can communicate to me about anything it doesn't matter i'm very open but there have been times where she's having a hard time with her friends or at school or whatever and i will say hey what about this and she didn't hear me she doesn't implement it or whatever uh but she has a therapist who will say the exact same thing to her and she'll go to me and she'll say 
mom, you know what she said? And, and it's like, she's repeating what I just said to her, but it has more impact. So even maybe finding an adult that your child can talk to um, and help guide, you know, a, a, a therapist, which unfortunately we live in a society where they're not always covered and it's very expensive. Uh, guidance counselor at school, even an aunt or uncle or cousin or what have you, just somebody else that's not mom or dad. Sometimes that can be helpful too. Yeah, and it's exactly, I've had that too. When teachers say something that I've been saying all along and it's like, guess what my teacher said? They like, yeah, <laughs> exactly <laughs> what I'm saying too. Um, one of the things we did, and uh, um, just to switch topics a bit, one of the things we did um, when there was a, a basic lockdown and so my, my son was taking online courses, so he was at home and uh, taking his, doing school at home. And so I, I created uh, my, I'm, I'm instructor, so I, I love doing that. I created my own lesson plan. And one of the things I included there and which I was very proud of to do that was ASL, because we decided to, to teach uh, each other uh, ASL classes through YouTube and uh, videos. And, and so it was, it was quite fascinating because I, I speak five languages, but ASL was so hard because I'm not using a voice, I'm using my hand and I am not very good with my hands. So that kind of challenge was, was so empowering. And a second reason was we have a, um, a mailman who, who, is, uh, who is deaf. And so we, we knew him for, for many years now in, in our neighborhood. And finally, we were able to communicate with him in very basic ways. But we could give our names and we can we can say, how are you? And he could communicate brief things with us. And it felt so good. He felt so happy. And so did we. And it's something I would recommend everyone to do. Yeah. I love that's it. something you specialize in as well. It's such a great language. And it's uh, yeah, I took it in teacher's college and I just continue taking courses because I love being able to communicate without talking and, you know, American Sign Language is the fourth most used language in the United States. So it's a very valuable language to learn. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's useful too, because then you're, you're in a crowded room, you don't want others to, to know what you're saying, and you can just signal or even in a club, it's loud, and you can communicate with another person. But the other thing is also the idea of, again, disability and ability. So we say, yes, this is a disability, people can't can talk and hear and so on. But then um, at the same time, they have this ability to communicate without using their voice. And I, I find that fascinating because if, if you would put me in, in a room with, uh, with people who, who are deaf and mute, uh, I would not be able to communicate with them, but somebody else would, would be able to do it. So I would be the disabled person in that room. And once we change that perspective, it just changes our whole outlook on what we see as, as, as a skill, as, a, as a, uh, a need, a special need, or as, as, as an ability. And um, for me, I found it again, very challenging to, to, to do that, but it's also empowering and it also feels good to be able to, to, to have that ability that others have. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's a great tool to use. And, you know, a lot of deaf people, the onus is on them to communicate to us in how we're comfortable us being hearing people versus hearing people trying to learn a language to make it easier to communicate with them. So yeah, I think it's it's 
a very and it, it's easier and easier to learn because of technology now you know there's a lot of really great deaf youtubers mm -hmm. uh, i love bill vicker of life print he's a fantastic youtuber that has really great instructional videos and um you know even hiring deaf tutors to work with you because when you do learn asl uh, it's best to learn from a deaf person and i learned from deaf people who i you know, you go into the course and you don't talk and it's just like from day one, you start to sign. And uh, I think technology has made it a lot easier for people to be able to take that on. Absolutely. And that's that was one of uh, one of our favorite classes that we took as a family. And, uh, and now occasionally we do uh, we do communicate with it, but we forgot uh, quite a few of the, the signs. But I have to keep up with it, I, I guess, and, and practice it. Um, so the, the book is Thriving Life, How to Live Your Best Life, No Matter the Cards You're Dealt. And it's 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 a wonderful book. It, it uh, I love it how you are aborting all these different topics as well. There's wealth of information in it, as well as practice practical guidance and, and tips and, and ways of, of dealing with, with uh, issues. So you are giving uh, here an action plan of, uh, of how one can proceed. And um, thank you so much for being on Arash's World to, to talk about your experiences. And again, uh, a wide range of experiences. And uh, just a final question, you, you like traveling and how has uh, the whole COVID situation affected that passion of yours? Yeah, anybody who knows me knows that I travel. I travel on my own. I travel with my family. I travel individually with each one of my children so that we have that one on one time. And I miss it so, so very much. But luckily, I've been able to do things like uh, we did a lot of camping sort of in our own province and area. I've uh, continued to do my scuba certification, even though it wasn't very exciting because there's no beautiful fish in oceans near me, but uh, I'm preparing for when I can travel again. <laughs> exactly. And you will be able to do so. And we all have to have, even though it doesn't feel like it, it's temporary. We will get through this, uh, all of us together. Keep thriving. Thank you so much for your book and for, for this interview and for all the work that you're doing uh, as well, all the other stuff that you're engaged with. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care.